We'll be looking at three passages today. The first passage is from Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The second passage is from Hebrew, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us, not, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the third passage is from 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Winnie. Uh, my name is Wade. I'm one of the pastors here along with Tom. And um, I want to, before I begin, I just want to publicly um, thank both Tom and Tracy for um, doing a lot of the work that um, over the past couple months that allowed um, me and my family to take a few weeks 
away from uh, my, my daily responsibilities at this church. I know that there's a lot of people here that uh, volunteer and make you guys do so much just to make sure that um, things are being done well here at this church. But uh, especially I want to recognize my fellow staff members, uh, Tracy and Tom. Thank you. I know Tracy is uh, on vacation, but Tom, um, thank you guys for uh, carrying uh, some of my load so I could take some time off. So thank you guys. As Tom mentioned, um, today is Ascension Sunday. Uh, seven weeks ago, uh, five, I'm sorry, five weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And this coming Thursday, this is going to be the, uh, what, we on the, what we have on the Christian calendar, what we call Ascension Day. This is the uh, 39th day or 40th day of, after Jesus was, uh, was resurrected from the dead. And the passage that Winnie just read from the book of Acts, this is an account of Jesus ascending into heaven. So, five weeks ago, we, we looked at the resurrection along with the birth of Jesus, Easter, um, Christmas, and the death of Jesus, Good Friday. These are the things that we often celebrate. Um, but there's one event in the life of Christ that we sometimes neglect. We don't think about it all that much. We know that Jesus rose from the grave, but what happened after Today we're going to talk about this day, the ascension of Jesus. What when he just read a few moments ago, it was the record of Jesus' departure from the earth, um, the ascension, and this along with the uh, the other couple passages that were will be this was this is one of the passages that we'll be looking at today, along with the other passages that um, when he read. But first, I want to focus on the just what the ascension means for us. Because we might think it's not as important as these other big events that we celebrate. There, these, the ascension isn't referred to as many times in the New Testament. We might think of it as an asterisk or a footnote in the story. But this is not so. There's more to the work of Jesus than his birth, his life, his death and resurrection. And thank God there's more to it than that. Because the implications of the ascension, they are profound. What does it mean that Jesus left this earth? What does it mean that he is in heaven right now? And what does it mean, why does it matter to us? And I want to give us a quick primer on the doctrine of the ascension. And it begins with this question. We often, we often ask this question, or, or this is a question that we often um, present to other people. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What has he done? But what about this question? Where is Jesus? Do you think about that? Where is Jesus? Where is he today? And why does his location matter? Our passage in Acts, it tells us that Jesus was lifted on a cloud before the eyes of his followers. The scriptures teach that his physical body What's touchable and tangible, this was carried into the sky on a cloud. That means that Jesus isn't just floating around in space somewhere. He's not just some disembodied soul. Throughout the New Testament, there are multiple references to Jesus. He's where? He's at the right hand of God the Father. And we'll look at some of these later. But think about what this means. It means that in this very moment, there is a man in heaven with a real body 
with flesh and skin and bone and hair and eyeballs and fingernails, just like you and me. These things that we read about in the Gospels, Jesus rubbing dirt into the eyes of the blind man, those fingers are up in heaven right now. The feet that walked on water, the same body that was beaten and tortured and nailed to wood, that body is in heaven this very moment. And to paraphrase an author that I read, the ascension means that God is not stripped of his humanity in Jesus after his earthly ministry. Instead, Jesus is adorned with humanity, with physical features. And in his humanity, he sits on the throne. Uh, There's this well-known hymn, we don't sing it all that much in this church, but in the Christian church, it's called Crown Him with Many Crowns, and it puts it this way. Crown him the Lord of heaven, enthroned in worlds above. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands, his side, rich wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. There is a hand that was ripped open with nails in the heavens right now. So this is the man Jesus Christ. He is a physical being And he's occupying a physical space in heaven. And this is what the ascension means. Last week, Pastor Tom, he spoke about Jesus from the book of Revelation. And he pointed out that in this passage that he went through, that Jesus is described, his three offices are listed as Jesus as a prophet, Jesus as the priest, and Jesus as the king. But how does Jesus get to the place where he exercises his offices? Michael Horton, he says this, we typically treat the ascension as little more than a dazzling exclamation point for the resurrection rather than a new event in its own rights. And another author, Patrick Schreiner, he adds to that. He says, though the ascension might seem like another affirmation of God's victory, the ascension represents progress. It represents a new stage in Christ's exaltation where he exercises his threefold office in a climactic way. And this is the primer. This is what the ascension means, that Jesus, the man Jesus Christ, is up in heaven in his physical body. He is reigning. He's doing something for his people. He's busy up there. And now we can consider what this means for us very practically. And again, thank you, Tom, for setting it up for us so well last week, that Jesus is our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. And we've been going through a series on the benefits of the resurrection. And when Tom and I were going through, just what are we going to talk about? What passages will we cover? Um, what should we preach on? My, my original plan for today was to cut into the series with a sermon on the Ascension because this is Ascension Sunday. But there's so much more than what I originally thought I would be speaking of. The Ascension says a whole lot about Jesus and what that means for us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, uh, alter my plans. I'll be speaking about Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king in light of the Ascension. And today I'm going to speak of Jesus as our priest. That was my original plan. I wasn't going to speak on the other two, but this is why I'm going a little bit out of order. Um, But I will speak on Jesus today as our priest, our advocate first. Next week I'll, I'll preach on Jesus as our prophets, and when I speak again, Lord willing, in June, I'll be speaking about Jesus as King. 
So this is kind of a long, uh, long and short introduction to what the ascension means for us, this neglected doctrine in the church. So what does it mean for us? I want to go back to the question I asked earlier. Where is Jesus and why does it matter? And to help us understand why it matters where Jesus is, I want to invite you to do a little thought experiment with me. So imagine this. You're walking down the street one day, and all of a sudden you're grabbed from behind. You're thrown into a van. And the men that threw you in there, they're not telling you anything. You don't know who they are. You've never seen them. Um, all you know is that you're, you've been taken off the street and um, they throw you into a room. And you're placed in a room with nothing but a single chair. And you sit there for an hour, and then another hour, and then another. And all this time, there has been no communication. You have no idea still where you are. You don't know how long you'll be in there. You don't know why you're there. Now, how would you feel if that were the case? Now, imagine another scenario. Same thing. You're in a strange room with nothing but a single chair. Except this time, someone walks in. And he says, I'm going to be here for a little while, just a few moments. But let me tell you something. He tells you that you need to stay in the room a little while longer, but that he will be talking to your captors. And he will do everything in his power to get you out. And you can tell just by talking to him, by looking at him, that he is a trustworthy man. Now, in both scenarios, you're in a strange room with nothing but a chair. You don't know how long you'll be in there. In one of them, in the first scenario, you have no realistic expectation to hope. Because as far as you know, you're left to yourself. You have nothing at your disposal to help you get out. But in the second scenario, you still, ha- you still have nothing in your, at your disposal. And you may not have the man with you in the room, but you know that he's there to work on your behalf. Now, your outlook when you're in that room is determined by the presence or absence of that man. In one of them, despair would eventually sink in. But in the other, there is hopefulness. There is something to hold on to. Everything in the room is unchanged in both scenarios, yet your entire experience in that room would be completely different because of the presence of a man, even though he's not physically with you in that moment. And I want to say to you that this is what the ascension means to us this morning. The ascension means that there is someone who you cannot see, who is not physically present with you, yet he is actively working in this very moment on your behalf. And this is one of the multiple reasons why the ascension matters. And today we're going to focus on Jesus, like I said, Jesus as our advocate, Jesus as our great high priest for his people. A few years ago, I got into a car accident. And if you guys have ever gotten into car accidents, if you have insurance, you know that there is kind of a procedure you have to go through. There's the stress that comes along with it. You don't know what's going to happen. You think about your premium going up. You think about all the consequences. That's what happened to me. So I got into a little fender bender. Um, the driver and I, we exchanged information, and a couple days later, I spoke to my insurance company, and they took my statement, they asked, here's, this is the weather, this is what I was doing, this is what the other person was doing, this is, these were the traffic conditions, and uh, I asked them, okay, you, uh, what do I do now? And it was a really nice uh, woman on the line, she said, 
from this point on, there's nothing for you to do. We're going to represent you as we talk to the other driver's insurance company, and we're going to figure this out. You just wait until we call you back, but until then, don't worry about anything. We've got you. Now, this is a picture of someone working on my behalf. And this, in a very small way, is a picture of what Jesus does for us in heaven. The ascension means that we have someone acting on our behalf at all times. The song we sang earlier, um, Psalm 90, um, before, our, before we forget, before our hearts give up, do you ever feel like giving up? Do you feel hopeless sometimes? The ascension says, hold on, hold on, because someone is working for you. After his ascension, Jesus continued his ministry to us as a priest. Listen again to these words from Hebrews 4. I'll, I'll read it again just because it's so beautiful. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's the ascension. He passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Even when you feel like giving up, hold fast to your confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The writer of Hebrews, he says this, Hold fast to what you believe, because, because, this is the basis, Jesus passed through the heavens. And in heaven, he's doing his job as his high priest for his people. The job of the high priest in the Old Testament was to act on behalf of the people of God. And if you remember, why did... Why was it necessary for a high priest to be present? Because God is a holy God, perfectly righteous, who cannot bear the sight of sin. And yet, this holy God invites his people to know him and to worship him. But how would that be possible if his people are sinful and yet he's holy? And that was a job of the high priest in ancient Israel. The high priest would approach God on behalf of the people with sacrifices and offerings to atone for the sins of the people and to appease God's anger towards sin. And over the years, over the course of the um, old Israelites, this is what the priest did, year in and year out, dutifully. But the one thing that they could never do was they could not perfectly represent the people because the, the priests, they themselves were sinful. They had a job to do, but they could not do it perfectly. The ascension tells us that he ascended into heaven. And now we have a high priest in the person of Jesus who understands completely what it means to be human because he became one. And at the same time, he lived a perfect life, so he's able to approach God the Father, God in all his righteousness and holiness, and he can represent us completely and perfectly because he himself is a man. This is the work of Jesus continuing on, even after he left the earth. And consider how radical his ministry is. In condescending to us as a human, this is Christmas, Jesus brought God to us. And by ascending to heaven as a physical being, he's bringing us to God. Tom, in a few weeks, he's going to speak on our glorified bodies. 
um, in light of the resurrection. And I'm going to need to steal Tom's thunder for a little bit, so I'm sorry, Tom. But um, because I want us to understand the significance of this truth, that Jesus ascended to heaven in a physical body, a physical resurrected body. He's in his physical body right now, this glorified body that he will have for all eternity. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is a forerunner for us in this regard, because if you are in Christ, you too will be resurrected, just as Jesus was, and you too will have a glorified body one day, one that you will have for all eternity. This is one of the implications of the ascension. The physical, glorified, perfect body of Jesus, which he will wear for, his, for all of eternity, this is a preview of what will be true of you and me. One day you will die, you will turn to dust, and you will be resurrected, and you will be given a glorified body which you will be in for all of eternity in the new heavens and new earth. One of the amazing implications of the ascension. That Jesus, our high priest, in his physical body, stands before God the Father on our behalf, speaking for us. Another passage from Hebrews, which we didn't read, but let me read it for you. In Hebrews 10, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sits down. That means that his sacrifice is finalized. If you remember on the cross, what did Jesus say? It is finished to telestai. Everything that is necessary for us to be forgiven has been completed by Jesus. That's why he can sit down. The Old Testament priests, they could never sit down because their job was never done. But in the ministry of Jesus, it means that there's nothing more to be done in order for us to be accepted by God the Father because Jesus has already done everything that is necessary. His sacrifice is perfect, which means that he is qualified to act on your behalf. And this is what he does continually in this very moment. What does a priest do? He presents an offering to God, saying, God, here is the blood of a creature that has been killed to atone for the sins. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, he approaches God the Father and he says, Father, here is the sinful man, the sinful woman, the sinful person that hates you sometimes. And spits in your face with their sin. And yet, I will plead on their behalf. Forgive them. Be merciful to them. And this is how it's going to work. Here is the blood that I shed for them. Jesus, our great high priest, speaking on your behalf. He is aware of every single sin in your life. And he says these people will not pay the price for their sins because I, the high priest, will present the sacrifice necessary for this forgiveness to be possible. On the cross, Jesus says, it is done. And in heaven, he comes and pleads his own blood for his sake. Another passage in Hebrews 7. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for him. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you this morning. Are you unable to pray? If you aren't right now, there will come a time. And then, who will pray for you? Do you ever wonder if God will listen to you? The ascension means that we can have total confidence 
that God will listen to our prayers. Because if Jesus is interceding for you, even if your prayers are ignorance and uninformed, even if you don't know what you need, even if you are full of doubt and sin and temptation, you look to Jesus because Jesus is praying on behalf of you for what you most need. He asks for everything that you should be asking for, and you are always heard because Jesus is praying for you. 1 John 2 1, which we looked at earlier. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When we are far away from God, when we're when we feel how truly undeserving we are, Jesus knows this is when we need God most. Jesus will advocate for us. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin, he wrote a short book called The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners. And the main point of the book is that the heart of the ascended Jesus beats with tenderness for his people. Jesus doesn't just perform a duty. This is not just a job for him. But as he pleads on your behalf, as he intercedes on your behalf, he's filled with a deep love and a deep compassion for you. Jesus is stirred with compassion when you suffer. Because he lived as a man on earth and he's now a man in heaven. He knows what it's like to be filled with sadness and sorrow and loneliness. He knows what it's like to suffer. He fully empathizes with our pains and sorrows. And when he goes before the Father on your behalf, he knows exactly what you feel, not just in his head, but he in his own body and his own emotions feels what you feel and have felt. And because he understands temptation... He's stirred with compassion when we sin. Jesus Christ, our high priest, he is stirred with compassion when you sin. This is what Thomas Goodwin writes. Your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. His pity is increased the more toward you, even as the heart of a father is to a child who has some loathsome disease. His hatred shall all fall, and that only upon the sin, to free, you of its, to free you of it by its ruin and destruction. But his heart shall be the more drawn out to you, and this as much when you lie under sin as under any other affliction. This is a little bit difficult for me to read because it's difficult to understand this truth, that even in our sin, Maybe especially when we sin, Jesus, he recognizes how that is going to destroy you. He recognizes how that alienates you from the Father. And the heart of Jesus hurts for you. The author Michael Reeves asks this question, or he tells us this. Where you would run from him in guilt, he runs to you in grace. In our guilt, we would never want to face up to some cold and pitiless God, but the tender kindness of Christ woos him. The tender kindness of Christ woos us to God. The song that we sang earlier, Let us love and sing and wonder. He washed us with his blood. He presents our souls 
to God. In a few moments, we're going to sing this song that you guys know. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Do you believe this? In this very moment, Christ knows everything that you're feeling and thinking. And in this moment, Christ is pleading on your behalf, your great high priest. And this is the gospel, that we are perfectly loved and accepted by God based solely on the work and the person of Jesus who lived and died for us. Not just on his earthly ministry, but here, today, in heaven, he pleads for us in his heavenly ministry. And the ground of God's love and acceptance of us is Christ's representation of us in heaven. Romans 8, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God. That's the ascension. Who indeed is interceding for us. That's Jesus, the great high priest, our advocate. Now, can you believe this? Do you believe it? That you, in all your rebellion and ignorance and sin, you will never be condemned. You will never be condemned. And I know that some of us feel condemned. And I know some of us don't want to face up to our own sins because we know at the end of that is shame and guilt and ruin. So what do we do? What do we do? Nothing. Because Christ is doing it all for you. He has done it all for you. And what we do is we repent of the things that cause us ruin. We look to Christ and we trust Him. We place everything that we have on Him. You will never be condemned if Christ is your advocate. The ascension means that you don't need to be fearful. Are you fearful? Do not fear. Do you feel condemned? Do not feel that condemnation. Do you feel alone? Recognize that Jesus is with you. He's given you the Holy Spirit and he is with you, representing you in heaven. If you believe that Jesus is at the right hand of God, then you can be bold in approaching the throne of grace. If you believe in the ascension, you can walk in this world, no matter what you go through. I know that you probably feel lonely in whatever your job or your marriage or your friendship, whatever. That's a part of life. That's a part of the human condition. But you are never alone. The creator of the universe is on your side and he never stops working on your behalf. And listen to these words from William Barclay. Um, this is from a hymn, and I'm going to close with this. Though now ascended up on high, he bends on earth a brother's eye, partaker of the human name. He knows the frailty of our frame. Our fellow sufferer yet retains a fellow feeling of our pains and still remembers in the skies his tears, his agonies and cries. And every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. He sympathizes with our grief and to the sufferer sends relief. This is what the ascension means for you today. If Jesus were to leave heaven, then the pledge of our our salvation would be removed. 
Patrick Scheiner says, If Jesus is not in God's presence on our behalf, then we are not in God's presence. If Jesus is not in God's presence, then we are not in God's presence. Our presence before God is Christ's presence before God. Without the Messiah's ascent, we are not in the covenantal presence of God. The ascent is good news because Jesus intercedes for his people at the right hand of God. He brings us to him. This is what the ascension means. Will you pray with me? God, we, uh, when we think about our own sinfulness, when we think about our own condition, if we're to be really honest, if we're to face the reality of the weight of all our failures and sins, we would go to hell. And we would deserve it. But that is where you went, God. You condescended in Jesus Christ. And you paid the penalty for our sins. And you ascended. And we, I don't even know how we can wrap our heads around this truth. But we are in the presence of God the Father. Because Jesus is in the presence of God the Father. The ascended Jesus. I pray that whatever it is that this truth is. I pray that you would press it into our hearts. And that we would be transformed by it, that we would respond in worship because of it. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our ascended brother. Amen.